Uh, I want to start with just um, two or three of our Sonship bullet points and um, just to get us all on the same page. Then we're going to take a little time tonight to talk about the, um, the necessity of understanding the incarnation. Of course, it's what Christmas is about, but uh, we don't always really take time to, to drill down to see what uh, the incarnation means. Um, just the last five bullet points on the uh, sonship intro. One says, because I am a son, the Holy Spirit takes all that Jesus has received of the Father and reveals it to me. John chapter 16. Then the Father loves me with the same love and in the same way that he loves Jesus. That's a mind blower. I can never read that once without Stopping to worship the Father loves me with the same love in the same way that he loves Jesus. Jesus says that, declares it in John 17. Because I am a son in the Son, I am one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the only way that can be possible is, number one, if God is a triune being, and number two, if uh, incarnation is a possibility because of his infinite uh, life and his ability, father to be in the son, son to be in the father, the son to be of the father, but in humanity. It's a beautiful thing because I am a son. I don't have to strive for position, identity, or acceptance. I am already accepted in Christ. The striving is over. This is the beauty of a revelation of sonship, the striving to be something, to do something, to achieve something, to get somewhere is over. Sonship is not a place to get to, but a way to be. Can we say that together? Sonship is not a place to get to, but a way to be. I am a son and will live eternally as a son. How many of you know that's quite a, quite a deal? We're going to live as long as God lives. <laughs> And uh, the beauty of that is we're going to live the way he lives with the same life, love, nature, overflow that he has. And it's hard for us to comprehend how that could be, um, but it already is. The more we press into our life in the spirit, our relationship with Holy Spirit, the more we, we get a taste of eternity over time. Praise God. Father, would you just come by your spirit? Would you? Join us in this conversation as we uh, throw our, our sticks in the fire. Would you just blaze in our hearts? Would you burn life and truth and peace, joy, contentment in who we already are seated at the right hand of the Father? Thank you for it. I thank you for these brothers and sisters and the heart that you're giving them to make disciples of the nations. Thank you for it. Mm. Praise God. Well, I mentioned to you in the uh, the link email that uh, we wanted to talk tonight about the incarnation, and I've given you six subheadings, and I'll just kind of go through one, and then we'll stop, uh, talk about it, see if we can stir something up uh, in you, and uh, if it's not uh, new ideas, maybe questions, and, and Cheeky can help us with all of that. The uh, angels sing the first Christmas cantata. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, God's highest and grandest intention, the mirror Bible says, God's highest and grandest intention in the heavens 
is dovetailed upon earth with unbroken incarnate oneness. In being human, he exhibits his delight in mankind. God to be incarnate in humanity is more a declaration of God's feeling for us than anything else. What God thinks of man, his highest achievement. So the angels sing peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We see the heaven to earth direction there, don't we? Heaven to earth. It's coming from God to man. And he bothers to share it with some shepherds out in the field that may seem to have very little social connection anywhere, but he gets the message uh, to them. And it's a tremendous uh, declaration that that God sees us all the same, doesn't he? He's not just going to the highest places. He's giving his good news. This is the incarnation, Karl Barth says. This is the incarnation. In Jesus Christ, there is no isolation of man from God or of God from man. Rather, in him we encounter the history, the dialogue, in which God and man meet together and are one. In the incarnation, there is no separation. One of the songs we sing is that the separation is over now that we're in Christ. We may feel separation at, at times, as Jesus echoed that for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there is none. The separation, the chasm has been, has been closed in the incarnation. God becomes Man, it's powerful. By the way, Karl Barth, incredible theologian in his in his height in the fifties, began to realize in looking at all the systematic theologies that had been written, especially by the German theologians, there was nothing, nothing in the systematic theology textbooks. I mean, big five hundred to a thousand page, nothing uh, about the incarnation, nothing about the Trinity. It was a mystery that nobody wanted to talk about. They figured out if we can't understand it, we don't want to, we don't want to bring it up and look stupid. So he said the only one he found was out of a 560 page book was 15 pages, uh, a surface little scattering on the Trinity. So uh, he wrote his dogmatics and started this is what we call early Bart, latter Bart. Latter Bart got a revelation of the triune God and uh, the incredible impact that that made and what it meant to the possibility of incarnation. And so his, his systematic theology began with the Trinity, the nature of God, and then the implications of that uh, in our lives. Um, that's extra, and it's free. Here's, here's theme number one. And um, maybe you've thought about this. Maybe you've jotted some notes already, but we'll just talk about it very shortly and then um, invite you to throw your stick in the fire. He draws near to us to draw near to himself. This is, this is a quote. He draws near to us to draw near to himself, to draw us to himself within the circle of his knowing of himself. This is called the noetic circle of knowing. This is the fact that this circle dance we talk about, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in this dynamic relationship of pouring out to one another, 
is a process of knowing, getting to know and understand that if, if these three beings are all infinite, then they're infinitely getting to know one another. It's an interesting thought. Isn't it? One of the, one of the authors talks about, it would be like taking three books and stacking them together. Like you'd stack them on a shelf, put the three books together. They're different books. They have different content, but these books have the ability to read each other. Each book can read the other two. There's a dynamic knowing going on between the three books. And this is part of the picture of the Trinity, this dynamic circle dance of the father's love. How many of you know that, that love is stimulated by getting to know one another. When you first fall in love with somebody, what are you doing? It's a season of discovery. You're, you're asking each other questions. Hey, what was your favorite thing when you were growing up? And what do you love to do? And it's getting to know this is how love burns. This is how the fire of love stays stoked in our hearts is the knowing of one another. Uh, God is not an immutable, impassable deity whose transcendency that is not separated to the point where you, you can't connect whose transcendency removes him from our infirmities or our human feelings. He is the God who interacts with us in creation. And he has made that obvious by the incarnation. Okay. So we're just simply saying God is not way out there. The untouchable, uh, mystery, the untouchable mind. He is a knowing and to be known. And this was, as we say, the bombshell that, that the apostle John dropped on the world with his gospel is that we can actually know God. He is not a prisoner in his own transcendence, holy other, but he is infinitely free to condescend to mankind without surrendering his infiniteness. What do you think about that? Do we tend to think of God as way out there somewhere, but you, no matter what, you can't get to him. You don't really know if you're pleasing him or not. You don't know if you're checking all the boxes and dotting the right I's and crossing the right T's, or have you come to discover that he wants to be known, to know and be known? Anybody want to throw in something on that? Chicky, you got something you want to add to it? Yeah, I just think uh, that what comes to mind is how disconnected we are in that, you know, Christmas season, we sing the carols about God with us and Jesus comes to us and it's peace, goodwill toward men and it's, a, it's joy and it's all this stuff. But we really don't connect the dots that God's delight in humanity was established in the incarnation, not just at the cross. Like a lot of people think Jesus was born just so he could die on the cross so that at that point, then those who receive Jesus, then the Father can be pleased with us yeah. only when Jesus dies on the mm -hmm. cross. As opposed to understanding that God was loving us. And that's why I love that what the what the mirror Bible says about in that one, that that in being he in being human, he exhibits his delight in mankind. Mm -hmm. It didn't require a sacrifice for him to delight in us. He was delighting in us first. But I think I think we we seldom connect those dots. Right. Well just the thought that God there's a man in the Godhead. Think about that. There's a human in the Godhead. Well most people say heresy, heresy. Well, if Jesus is fully God and fully man, then there is now a human 
in the Godhead. And then if you and I are in the Son, in Christ, then that doesn't make us um, non-created gods. We're created beings, but it makes us relatable. We can know God and be filled with God. And so if we just come to understand that there's, there's a human in the Godhead, and that human in the Godhead shows God's delight in his creation, in the humanity that he made. We're not trying to overcome some grievous hatred, some boredom, or some drudgery that God has towards us. He is delighted with us. Anybody want to yeah, so throw iPhone, something in? We don't iPhone know who iPhone 67 is, but go ahead. Actually, it's Jeremy, so I haven't got my thing signed in. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, welcome, yeah. Jeremy. Welcome, Jeremy. So I'm I'm driving, but I was really hoping that I would be able to get in on this because this has been something that we have been meditating on and, and really focusing on at Faith Foundry all year long. It's getting a really new and fresh and deep uh, revelation on who Jesus is. And the incarnation has been a huge aspect of that. So I'll just really quickly, I want others to have time, so I'll just really quickly say this. I think the significance of the incarnation is that um, what Carrie was saying earlier is that God is, is, Carrie phrased the thing, do we feel that God is far away? Do we feel that he is distant? Do we feel that he is, um, and the answer would be yes. And so I believe that the answer that God brings to our question or to our even our feeling, maybe not even our question, but even our feeling is that he is so loving and so outgoing in, in the way of his being that he sends his son so that we can have that, see how close and how accessible the father is to us. So, yes. so yes. he, he actually answers the question that we're not asking. He just knows how we're feeling, and Jesus comes mm. to basically say, hey, I just want to answer the question that you're not asking, and I want to come and present myself to you so that you can see the Father. And as you as you were talking, Cheeky, about, about the significance, or actually I think it was both of you, were talking about the significance of there being man in the Godhead, is that we have to recognize that there's the Godhead in man as well, that we have to recognize that we are now the house of God. So I know we're going to kind of expand on this in, in the conversation, but the 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 incarnate, uh, Jesus being incarnate brings us into a completely different revelation of our value and who we are and to the extent at which the Father is willing to absolutely give of himself to redeem our thought about being separate from him or a thought yes. about him being distant or a thought about him not being engaged in humanity. And and I think that Jesus comes to just absolutely mess all that up and completely wreck yeah. the theological mindset of the, of the believing people up to that point, you know, so that I just wanted to, to, to kind of first say, you know, it's, it's him making himself accessible when we feel he's not. Yeah, so good, Jeremy. <laughs> That's that is man, mind-blowing stuff. 
And think about the the phrases that Paul used because of his revelation that now become common to us. Uh, the metaphors in uh, the in Christ phrase brings us to um, being the body of Christ. Wow. The temple. That's a metaphor. The body of Christ. He's saying that we are one with him. The temple. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God lives in us. If I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, if I'm in Jesus, Jesus is in me. If I'm in the Spirit and the Spirit's in me, and the Scripture bears up on all three of those points. Wow. This is a new ball game. The striving is over. Anybody else want to throw into it? We got several more points to cover, but Nathan, jump in there. Yeah, uh, the uh, the topic of the incarnation is actually something I, I think about often, and um, closeness is something that Jeremy um, touched on. It's and that's a lot what comes to mind. But um, I read a quote recently by a theologian who actually hangs out with Francois de Troyes, the mirror Bible guy. And he wrote that in, the incarnation is God's wrath against sin. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I've been thinking about that and it's like, how, how true is that? That I, I think it was uh Damon Thompson who said that Jesus smuggled himself into the disease of sin to blow it up from the inside. And I just, I just love that, 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 and that just led me to thinking about Paul in Corinthians uh, 15, talking about Jesus is the last Adam, the progenitor of a new humanity. Like not only did he just, you know, take away the delusion of separation, but he, he, in the incarnation recreates humanity. Yes. You know, in, in, in forms his a permanent image. bond. Yeah. Yes. Forms yeah. a permanent bond. And, you know, your your statement on the wrath of God, incarnation as the wrath of God against sin, no. uh, would shake a lot of people up if you're locked into yeah. a mindset that wrath is negative. Yeah. But if you understand wrath as a byproduct or fruit of the love of God, his furious love released on anything that's trying to kill the thing that he loves, which is us. That is an amazing statement. Wrath is one of the things that we really need to look at in a new light, a new lens, because it keeps people in this judgmental Old Testament kind of a mindset and a sin consciousness that's not doing us any good. I was having a conversation today with somebody who's been reading some books about honor and the importance of honor and stuff. And, and the statement this person made was that when we don't, when we don't, honor our parents um sort of like god's disposition toward us is not like god is gonna shun us if if we don't do that and i immediately said sorry that's yeah that's Mm. a that's such a distorted theology like now it may be that that puts us in a position where we don't fully receive everything god has for us but it's not because god's disposition changes toward us it's because we lose the aware the awareness of his disposition toward us. And I think that's why this proclamation by the angels is so significant. The angels are coming to a world that thought they were separated from God, that thought God was mad at them, that, you know, God's silent. He must be really displeased with us. And he comes and he says, I bring you good news. I am, I'm bringing peace. I'm bringing goodwill. My favor is upon you. Great joy. Not because of anything you've done. That's just who God is. And there's nothing we can do. Yeah. 
to make him change that view about us. You know, when you spend your whole life learning how to climb that huge mountain of the laws and somebody comes and tells you, uh, there's really no mountain, <laughs> it'll make you furious. Religious people get really angry when you tell them they've leaned their ladder up against the wrong building. <laughs> uh, let's jump into another one. There's, there's several statements here. Uh, we're doing something brand new starting tomorrow night, Table of Friends. We're doing seven days journey to Bethlehem, and each of the seven days we just do, it'd be like a novena, Andres. It'll be a spirit-filled version of the novena. We're going to come together, sing a little bit, sing some carols, reflect a little bit on Thank the you. incarnation and what it really means to us. Um, enjoy being together. We're going to start that tomorrow night, and, and we've based the seven on some of these statements. This is number two on, on my, my themes. The incarnation cannot be reversed or its effects diminished. Uh, this same idea that Jesus came and put on humanity for 33 and a half years. And then when he died, you know, he, he discarded that now he's just God again, the incarnation cannot be reversed. If Jesus can put off his humanity at his resurrection, then you and I are still outside, not inside and there's no the glory of God. And there's no hope. If he can put off his, his humanity, then you and I don't have a way in to the presence of God. He's still bearing those scars. When we see him as he is, we will see him as John saw him, uh, a lamb bearing the fresh marks of slaughter. He'll hold out his hands and you'll still see the nail prints. He does have that incorruptible body and it's full of the glory of God. It's shining bright, burning like fire and brass, the resurrected body. And yet it's still a human body wearing scars. It's important for us to understand. You say, well, you're talking all this theology. We all do theology. The question is whether we do it well or not. And if we don't do it well, then we lose key truths in, in the gaps of our understanding. And so this is part of that understanding that when Jesus put on flesh in the major, by the way, he wasn't called Jesus before he put on flesh. He was the Christ, the Logos. When he put on flesh, he was given a name, Jesus, your deliverer. And he, he put aside, chose not to use his, his deity powers, but worked by the power of the Holy Spirit relationship so that you and I would know how to get his ministry done. But then when he died, he didn't put off his deity. And I want you to hear it so that when you do hear, and I've heard people from big pulpits, large pulpits across America saying that Jesus put on humanity for three and a half years, then we've gained nothing. All 33 years. Yeah. But he didn't. He's still wearing his humanity, fully human, fully God. Trevor Hart says it this way, the incarnation of God's, the incarnation is God's forever commitment to the human cause, and it cannot be undone. It is God's forever commitment to the human cause. Can I buy an amen from anybody? Yeah. Yeah, forever commitment. Carl Bart again says, we celebrate Christmas because God in Christ not only comes to be with us, Emmanuel, but becomes one of us, son of man. 
Jesus Christ uh, is in his one person as truly God, is, is man's loyal partner, and as truly man is God's faithful son. I messed that up. Let me say it again. Jesus Christ in his one person as truly God is man's loyal partner. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And as truly man, he is God's faithful son. Israel was the unfaithful son. Jesus is the faithful son. And because we're in him, we get to be called saints even when we ain't right? <laughs> we get to be called saints as faithful sons of God as well. When we look at Christ, whether as a babe in a manger, a teacher with disciples, or a suffering servant on a cross, we know decisively that God's deity does not exclude, but includes humanity. Does not exclude, but includes. Just make notes if you get some thoughts as we go here. I'm just reading off three or four more statements. Jesus becoming man is the crescendo of God's conversation with us. This is from the Mirror Bible. Jesus, God become man, is the crescendo of God's conversation with us. Everything that God had in mind for mankind is voiced in him in the Son. That is, Jesus is God's human language. That's so powerful to me. Jesus is God's human language. We can use the analogy uh, that um, a shepherd realizes that his flock of sheep are lost or uh, they've had a, a virus injected into them and now they can't hear the shepherd's voice. The only way the shepherd can save them is to become a sheep. Now, that sounds radical. A shepherd becoming a sheep? Well, just think, what's more radical? A shepherd becoming a sheep or God becoming a man? And to get into our human body so that he can lead us and show us the heart of the Father, this is the incarnation. I think what's amazing about these things, too, is we, we always think of Jesus as being fully God and fully man. But we don't think about really the two dimensions of that, which is what, what Bart was talking about, that Jesus not only shows us what God is fully, but he also shows us what we were always meant to be fully. Right. He is fully man. He's a fulfilled human being. He shows us what God's opinion was of us, what his original intent was for us, and what, what Holy Spirit is working toward in us yes. is fulfilling Jesus. So we see Jesus as the reflection of God, but we don't often see Jesus as the reflection of God's opinion of us. Jesus is God's God's clearest picture of each one of us. That's a beautiful thing. And it says it, this statement, Jesus is the face of God to man. And at the same time, the face of man toward God in Jesus, both God and man come together, face one another, and see each other in our very best. Jesus is God's mind made up about humanity. I love this. This is also the Mirror Bible. Jesus is God's mind made up about humanity. He's not changing his mind. He's not going back on what he's done. He has become forever linked with humanity through the incarnation. Glory is God's original opinion of us. Glory is God's original opinion of us. And now he is winning us back to that original opinion. 
And one more, God's eternal dream was never intended to be confined to a book, but to be unveiled in human form. Through him, we too are living epistles known and read of all men. We think that God sent the book down and now it's ours to figure it out, live it, give it your best shot. We stop talking. Make your best efforts. No, he didn't send a book for God to love the world. He sent his son. It's his dream, his dream. He never intended to be separated from us or us separated from him. And he did something about it. Isn't that wonderful? Anybody want to jump in on any of those statements, a question, a, an additional comment, something else you could add? There's no reversal to the incarnation. Do you believe that? Maybe that'd be a good place to start. Do you believe that there's no reversal to the incarnation? Someday Jesus isn't going to say, uh, no, sorry, this didn't work. (laughs) Go ahead, Jeremy. I'm not trying to hog it, but I'm so lit up about this subject. (laughs) It's hard for me. (laughs) So um, here's what I would say. And this is where I've, I've been challenged by some of the um, thoughts and um, reflections from Francois uh, Dutois and, and even some of the pictures in the Passion Translation and the footnotes and things like that. And one of the things that um, Francois really um, pulls in is that um, that we were always in Christ, that um, that everything was created in him and through him. And so therefore, there was we were always a part of of the Trinity, you know, Ephesians chapter one, you know, you, you and I were uh, the father's idea before the foundation of the earth, you know, birthed in his heart before, you know, we were sons before the foundation of the earth. So, so there's this picture of, you know, God's approval. Yes. His approval and God's mind made up about us is lived out in the expression of Jesus, but it's also, bringing us back to a mindset that is dealing with any thought of separation or any thought of of idea that God was somehow um uh keeping himself from us and I think of uh this is what impacted me so much in the Abba formation was the meditation on 1 Corinthians 2 I spent so much time just pouring over that because some of those scriptures in that chapter specifically were were basically thrown at me as as a younger man to to define that I couldn't know God and that I could because they didn't keep reading. <laughs> so you know it's for who can know the mind of God and who can understand and and then Paul goes on to say uh us we because we have the spirit of God in us. So so I think that it, what it is 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 Jesus comes and the the incarnation brings that reality to where um, we get to see things through now through the his lens, which is now not just a spiritual lens, but a human lens. And yes. the fact that Jesus was willing to literally, he calls it a baptize, baptism. He baptizes himself into our humanity, into our darkness, into our despair, into even into the the thought of separation. My God, my God, I know that you uh, mm. uh, mentioned that earlier, Carrie. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's that's not his mindset. That's, a, that's our mm. mindset. And right. so I think that, I think that it comes back to um, the, the mystery that, that 
we're supposed to know that that yeah. the church is held as a mystery for so long and we were always supposed to know it and i and and that the end of first corinthians 2 obviously is for we have the mind of christ so we we get to come into a knowing of yes. who he um who not only who he is but who we are in the father and it was the mystery that god was talking about clear back before christ so christ yes. comes to put the exclamation point on i will come and make my home with you you know mm-hmm. uh and and my abode with you and and um i will be your god and you will be my people you know that's old testament verbiage of and jesus coming to fulfill that so yes. i think that it's just it's the radical acceptance of God. It's the radical union of God, and it's the it's the um, it's dispelling the ideas in our mind that we have been separate from God. That we have now we've acted out of a mindset of separation, but but that there that we are actually in Christ in God, and Jesus kind of just puts the exclamation point on. This is the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. He's returning us to our original genius. hundred percent. hundred percent. Knowing him. There, there's a couple of statements I want to make real quick. And these are little side statements. One, um, there, there are those that stay away from the mirror Bible and they'll say, well, it's universalism. I want to just make a statement about that publicly. Um, it's only universalism if you ignore man's free will. The scriptures don't ignore man's free will. Though God has made salvation available for whosoever will, it is for everyone. And God saw us all as his before the foundation of the world, but he will never override your free will to even give you what he's already paid for what he's already done. So universalism will say, whether you choose it or not, everybody gets returned to God. Everybody saved. Well, that's God's dream. Actually, that is God's dream. He wants none to perish. He wants everybody restored. But if you choose to resist that, to ignore that, he will honor your choice at his own pain, at his own pain. So, if you hear these rumblings, whispers, or whatever it is, stay away from the mirror Bible. Uh, you can understand that whether Francis de Troyes makes that clarification in every place or not, you can. God will not override man's free will, and therefore it's not universalism. It is a universal salvation to whosoever will. But not everyone will, and we know that is the case. Um, another statement I was going to making um, i think it's gone now you know there were two or three i had right there but, um but it's um it'll come back around but nathan you put a statement on the chat from um, saint athanasius and so why don't you say it and then i think you had a thought to go along with that uh yeah uh saint athanasius uh, who i love reading i've actually because of you guys you know trinitarian you know teaching i've kind of dive in he's one of my favorites to read on Trinitarian theology, but he said, for the son of God became man so that we might become God. And that just, the incarnation always for me leads into the the doctrine of theosis, which is not really a, 
a fun western to talk discussion <laughs> they don't they nobody don't, wants don't really to talk about with it, it. <laughs> but uh, do what deification the deification of man yeah and it's like we're, mm-hmm. we're being conformed into his image and i think that's the point mm-hmm. of it and so with with our broken thinking and our our delusion of separation and the 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 wrong perspectives the incarnation literally is is not just for it is to show us who the father is and and totally you know correct that delusion but it's also to bring us to him with him yes like him seated with him in heavenly places and not yeah. leave us in this broken state how many of you have had the thought even when you imagine yourself around the throne worshiping god and we're seeing all these incredible sights the angels are crying holy 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 we're bowing down we're throwing our crowns down but you see god way up there and we're way down here. We still project a separation between us and God, even in our mental pictures of the throne room. But notice what Jesus called that throne room scene, the father's bosom. Mm. There's a reason he uses the term. We came out of the father's bosom, his own heart, his dream. We're going back into his bosom and there will be no separation there, no matter how hard we try to paint it. For one thing in eternity, there's no, there's no space, there's no time and there's no distance. There is no distance in eternity. We're going to be in the father's bosom and enjoying him wholly and completely. (laughs) Did I step over somebody? Cody, you got something you want to share? John. Trying to stir you a little bit. <laughs> the, our minds resist the idea that we could be one with him, really one with him. What does that mean? Well, it is a mystery, and we won't understand it with our minds in this life, but we will know as we are known, and we will we will feel perfectly at home in the Father's presence, and we should learn to do that now. Uh when we get to heaven, it won't be a strange place. We go walking around with big eyes. Oh, wow, look at that. We're going to say, wow, I've been here before. You're going to realize that that has been home for you. And we experience that presence when we when we get into into his his presence and his spirit. Um, oh, this one other thing I want to say. This is a sidebar, but it's part of how to how to read the scriptures. Anytime you see Paul quote the Old Testament, be mindful that he's going to do usually the same thing Jesus did. When Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he reinterprets it in a new light. Moses said, but I say. So when Paul says, I has not seen, neither has he or heard, nor has entered in the heart of man what God is. When I was growing up, that's all I ever heard. I just heard the Old Testament portion of that. They never bothered to give me Paul's revelation out of the Old Testament that changes everything. But God has revealed these things unto us. It's knowing him. It's in him. He's feeding us by his spirit. It's no longer Old Testament for us. It's not line upon line, here a little, there a little. Line upon line, here little, there little. I've heard that preached too. That's how we grow in God. Line upon line, here little. No, the very next part of that passage says, with stammering lips and other tongues, I will speak to my people. 
I will speak to my people. This is the rest wherewith the weary are called to rest. And this is the refreshing. What's he saying? By the Holy Spirit in you and by that spiritual language, he fast forwards and accelerates our knowing of him and our revelation in him. That's why we believe in praying in the spirit a lot. <laughs> Let's go to number three. Did I step over anybody? Anybody have anything you want to jump in on? I know this is this is a lot, but this is really what Christmas is about. And we want to just scratch on this until we hear something we haven't heard before. Go ahead, Nathan. I was gonna say I, I hear that a lot, you know, the the line upon line, here a little, there a little. You read it a lot. And if you if you read it, it says that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Right. right. And it doesn't transform. Like, no, it does not. So anyway, mental just, information. Mm -hmm. education does not transform it's spiritual impartation that be becomes revelation and transforms us the third theme here we may not get through all of them it's okay the third theme is mankind is god's highest achievement achievement in quotations mankind is god's highest achievement or we could say god's glory Go back to Abba formation or, or foundation, and Cheeky um, meticulously bears out this point of creation in day one, day two, day three. And then when he gets to man, day six, Tob Mayod, it is very good. This is the crown of creation. And what does the enemy want to get us to believe? Oh, we're just part of the animal kingdom right we, we came up on the same beach as everything else we're just part of the animal kingdom no we were made fashioned by god's hands and by his very own breath so the incarnation is this the babe in the manger reveals that there is no place in the universe that god would rather be human life is tailor-made for god he said, in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me. All right. Simple math, right? If Jesus is in the father and we're in Jesus, then are we in the father? Yes, we are. You and me and I in you, John 14, 20. First John 1, 2, the same life that was face to face with the father from the beginning has now dawned upon us. This is Isaiah 9, 6. I love this. The infinite life of the Father, the Zoe of God, became visible before our eyes as Jesus Christ in infant form. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Those are not the same thing. It's a distinction. In human form, it came as a child. But as a gift from the Father, he gave his only son and gave him a name, Jesus. This is so powerful. So what's he doing in that, in giving us a son? He's showing us that mankind is the inheritance that he's chosen. In Paul's language, First uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, 18, 19, he prays that we would come to see that we are the inheritance that God has chosen. Of all the other things that he's created and could choose, he chose us. Is that good news? Mm -hmm. Anybody feel a little better about yourself? <laughs> all right. I'm doing a lot of talking. Anybody else? Something you want to share? Nathan, raise his hand again. Go ahead, Nathan. 
Uh, I just, I, I think I told you guys a story the last time you were here, but it's something recent happened with uh, my son, Jonathan. I was putting him to bed and, you know, I like to pray for them every night and, you know, just kind of speak encouragement and kind of prophesy over him a little bit. And I told Jonathan and he's looking up at me and I just got him by his face, you know, and I said, John, Jonathan, of, of, of everything that I've ever done, like you are my greatest accomplishment. And uh, he didn't really understand me. He's like, okay. I was like, do you know what I mean? He says, no. I said, of all all the buildings, of all the good grades, of all the jobs, like all the good stuff I've done, you are the best thing that I've ever done. And he goes, oh. And he looks at me and goes, are you sure? (laughs) That's like, that's what we do. That's what we do to the father. Yeah. Yeah, Really? Yeah. And so like, that's that's why I love your your point. That's a great story. That yeah, we are, yeah. you know, his his highest All the loves on us. Delight. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we need to write a song about that. <laughs> Have a lyrics. The the first line is God's love for us. Second line is Are you sure? <laughs> a little transparency in our worship. <laughs> I'm gonna skip to number five here. Baptism in the spirit. This gets a little more practical now. Baptism in the spirit, in all of its ramifications, the spirit-filled life is itself an incarnation. Hmm. An incarnation. How do we know that Christ lives in us? By the indwelling Holy Spirit. I love what Gordon Fee says, preeminent Pentecostal scholar. He says, the only thing that makes the people of God different from all the other people of the world, it's not what they believe, it's not what they think, not even how they act, is that one has the Spirit of God living in them and the other does not. Mm -hmm. One has the Spirit of God living in them and the other does not. The fact that you and I have the Spirit of God living in us, we are a walking incarnation. If God couldn't move into Jesus as human, then why can we believe that the Holy Spirit can move into us as human? The two go hand in hand. What we celebrate at Christmas is an underscore and a bold print should rehearse to us again and again, God can live in me, and he does. Wow. I'm just sounds silly, but I'm just making the connection of the necessity of the virgin birth, not just, not just as, a, as a miracle which it is not just to set Jesus apart as something different, but it's also a precursor of God, God's spirit coming to dwell in us and producing something out of us. All of these things. Still, it's for, one of those that it's, it's here and it's not quite right. coming out the way it's working in there. But what we're trying to wow. do is connect the dots everything is essential. We say, yeah, of course the, you know, the birth of Jesus is essential for him to have a body to, you know, to offer up on the cross for our salvation is more than that. He could have shown up as a human. I mean, God could have done it any number of ways. He could have just shown up out of nowhere, created as an adult already. But for God to become one with man through Jesus, he's establishing a template for all that he is. Takes us back to the Trinity. If God were not a three-in-one being, he could not give himself in human form. Then there's no God in heaven, Hmm. right? That's modalism. So 
the Trinity is critical to understanding the incarnation. The incarnation is critical to understanding how we can walk in the power of the Spirit and live like Jesus right here, right now. And because we haven't believed this very well or very deeply, we check our we check our God experience into heaven. We say, well, I'm just going to get along as best as I can here, and I hope I make it across the cold river, Jordan. I hope I, I get into the pearly gates, and when I get there, then I get to enjoy life in God. God has moved in by the incarnation, and the incarnation is possible by his triune nature. And because of that, you and I can walk now and live now in the power of his spirit. I hope you see how all of these are critical and we, we miss them at our own peril because when we don't get it, don't see the importance of it. That's why the church is weak and sick and scared and full of fear because we've never really seen that this triune God could give of himself and still be who he is. He's still in heaven but he's given himself in humanity. Now in humanity, he can give himself in sacrifice and then be raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit and then give the Holy Spirit so that you and I can live in that same life. All of it, every piece is critical. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life, is itself an incarnation. This is what makes Christmas special for me. <laughs> I have to tell you, I celebrate Christmas not because gifts. The the gifts are are a you know a very very small part, but again that's the template. What does the Holy Spirit do when he comes into us? He distributes the yeah. gifts. Wow. He distributes the gifts of the life and the love of the Father through us to love a world that can't see it. By the indwelling spirit, disciples are swept up into the community life of the three in one God. We're caught up into this divine dance by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection followers of Jesus are joined to the triune God in an intimate union of life and love we're not trying to be loved we're not trying to get loved we are caught up into the triune life of God we are in the father in the son and in the spirit and it's not just preacher talk the father son and spirit live in Christians and Christians live in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, verses 13 and 15. Has anybody connected the dots before? Is this a new thought? Is this an old thought? Is there questions? When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're really talking about the incarnation for us here and now. I know you're itching, Nathan. Let me just see if anybody I just, else wants to. I actually in. just, I just, I just kind of have a question for you. I want to know what you think, because with 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 thinking about the incarnation and and, and the gospels, what they teach about Jesus take putting on flesh. Um, why do you think that? I guess the cessationist crowd, there's not a whole lot of talk about the incarnation because it ultimately leads to this conclusion of being filled with the spirit or, you know, you get what I'm kind of asking you is, is that maybe why we don't talk a whole lot about it in the, in Western evangelical circles? Well, if you think about cessationist, the whole issue is the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And that is a penalty paid for our sin. Because God was mad at us. Too, God was angry with us. We had sinned. He pours out his wrath on his son, Jesus. 
the the cross becomes the main thing and so the only purpose the incarnation serves is to get Jesus, the Son of God, on a cross. So I think that's what I was talking about at the very beginning, is that we think the importance of Christmas is that it was just a necessary step for the really important thing, which was the judicial satisfaction. Right. And so this whole message of peace on earth, on earth, goodwill to all men. Yeah, the angel said it, but it, yeah, it's really just pointing to the forgiveness that we could have later on when Jesus died. Here, I'll, I'll finish this thought, and then we'll wrap up with whatever you guys have. Um, this is why Christmas is important. The, the incarnation is not fulfilled by the cross. The incarnation is fulfilled by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When the church is filled with the Spirit, and now we live and move and have our being in Him uh, and walk in the fullness of Him. What's amazing to me is how relational God is that, again, he could have accomplished all of that in one single event somehow. He could accomplish something, a decree or something like that. But it's like he goes through the process of being born as a baby, growing up as a human, living as a human, experiencing the physical death that we experience, living by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of it is relational, and it just blows my mind how... God's delight in us and his desire to be one mm. with us is, mm. is, is seen in every aspect. Like you really yeah. can't have one, any one of those, the, 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 the birth, the, the death, burial, resurrection, or the thing with the Holy Spirit, all of them are relational and all of them are, too much. are, they work together. Yes. We, we shared this with the church yesterday and it's something I, I just, wish we could hammer in everywhere. The Trinity is the paradigm of the universe and it's all relational. And I said, you know, the same way uh, an interior decorator would take a swatch of cloth or a painter will take uh, these, uh, what do you call them? Samples. Yeah. And we'll hold it up to the wall to make sure they get the right shade. The Trinity is the swatch or the sample that you are to hold up against everything that comes to you in life. Does it beckon me into more relationship or does it send me to isolation and individualism? Does it cause me to try to be a performer or does it cause me to be a receiver, a receiver and a giver of love? Everything that God does, he does in relationship out of his own nature. He'll never do anything contrary to his nature. That means everything that he does is in love, including wrath. It's in love and it's in relationship. The more we can let that permeate our churches, wouldn't it be amazing if our churches became highly relational places and where we really saw that our whole reason for being is to love one another, not to judge each other, not to police each other, you know. So that's our heart. That's our cry. Thank you for jumping in somebody give us some thoughts and uh, maybe what you're doing for christmas anybody doing something uh unusual for christmas like, today Rick, why don't you just say what you just put on the chat for us have to unmute your mic I was, yeah. i've just been pretty amazed uh tonight uh because all of this discussion and different things that have been brought up uh, is new to me. Um, I've not heard 
I've not heard ten percent of the different parts of this discussion, but it's also given me quite a bit of uh, material to ask God in uh, during prayer time about what what was this all about? I mean, I get it that He's in me and with me, and He's not. He's he's not far away, but uh, this was um, this was very. Yeah. Think about the term, Rick, of uh, far away. Far away speaks distance, doesn't it? Yes. Anything that speaks distance. A lot of our songs draw me close to you, closer. We sing about yes. things that are are all yeah. bound yeah. in distance. Like he's out there, and I'm trying to get to him. I'm trying to get him to me. Uh, yeah. we, we've got to get such a, such a revelation in our hearts that there's no distance between us, that those lyrics would just, you know, crawl, make our skin crawl. You say, no, yes. there's no distance between me and you. I understand the emotional, uh, cry that, that, that we have, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I long for people to, to write worship music that carries these kinds of themes of our oneness in him. Anybody else? Yeah, just Paul. a thought, Paul? How you doing, Paul? Doing good, doing good. I got on here late, but, uh, you know, I was thinking that wonderful teaching that you guys had that really changed a lot for me is just uh, looking at communion. How, how into you is God? He's so into you that you can't get rid of him. He's like, do this in remembrance of me. Take take this and do this in remembrance of me. How, how can you separate me from you once you take of this? And to realize that Jesus, born in Mary, was so into her. <laughs> yeah. He was, you know, and it's like yeah. that realization that God, the, uh, the word Emmanuel, God Yes. With us or in us yes. or in our midst, which means he really is into us. Yes. Yes. He's like coming back to that relational thing. He's like, well, we could have set up the corporation. Right. But I'm going to come in the way I add people to my family. Right. I'll be on the fourth floor. You guys stay on the second floor. <laughs> right. And that, I right. had this imagination of um, when Jesus said, um, he basically was inviting us to do greater things than he did. And I always thought that of this elevator and he's on the millionth floor and we're in the basement somewhere. And he's like, no, you enter where I've brought you to when I moved in, where do yeah. you want to go? That's a great Rather gift. Than yeah. Someday at some place we'll get yeah. there. It's like, Thank why don't you. we live there today? And it doesn't yeah. mean that we fully understand the ramifications of that paul just just bringing the um the communion elements and that exercise the lord gave us is such a gift uh what a, a way jesus took something so simple something we do multiple times a day and says this is the way i want to live in you and i want you to live in me and like you say, the digestion process, once you break that up and it goes into your stomach, then it goes into every cell in your body. He wants us to be that one and understanding that all the time. 
Right. You didn't just Emma. go and be. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Emma, thanks for joining us. Hello. Yes, I have a little one that just fell asleep. Um, but when you said about um, that his desire is for us to always be with him. And, you know, I I think I I see a better picture of the Lord as my father since becoming a mother. Sure, sure. And like I always, I can't imagine life without her. And so I, I see a, a greater picture of that. And just um, with the whole incarnate. Okay, now she's awake. <laughs> We, we talked to Ella a lot about, you know, when when Jesus died, the veil was torn and that that separation was gone forever. And um, Ella actually has an understanding of that. And I love it at such a young age. And um, then, like you were saying about how sometimes we could still see him far off, but that veil was torn. And when he undoes something is done forever he doesn't go back <laughs> and mm -hmm. so i just think it's a beautiful thing and and like during christmas um you know she's our miracle baby and we prayed for so long for her and i i just get this great sense of like you know god's desire for us is to be close to him and so um just this christmas i just i love that i'm getting closer to him and i'm getting because i'm seeing his love through her and it's just beautiful how i'm I'm just so grateful for our church and I'm learning to see him as a father. Amen. Um, my father died like 20 years ago and I feel like I've stopped being a daughter. Mm. And um, But I'm learning to be a daughter again. And it's just beautiful just hearing that, that there is no separation. And um, mm. Ella and I were actually talking about that today, about how we can talk to Jesus um, all the time and he's in heaven and and um, we're seated in heavenly places. We were actually talking about right. that when she was in her bed earlier. Yes. And yeah, Beautiful. anyway. And see, it's it's normal for us to say, um, I'm getting closer. There yes. again is the distance <laughs> yes. term. What we're really yes. saying is I'm becoming more aware yes. Yes. of our oneness. I'm becoming more aware yeah. of it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He just brings an awareness of, of who and what we really are. It's a wonderful mm -hmm. thing. And I just pray for each one of you and, and for those that you influence that this Christmas will be a season where you really get a revelation that he yeah. has moved in and he's not leaving. <laughs> no matter how bummed out we might feel and how lost we might feel at times, he's not leaving. He's become yeah. one with us and uh, us with him. And he wants us to live in the, in the joy. Uh, good news and great joy. Great. Yep. I pray all of you have a fantastic uh, holiday. Mm -hmm. We wish you a very Merry Christmas and all that incarnation means <laughs> in it to you and your household. Bless you. <laughs>